0: Welcome to another episode of Find Your Joy, a series of podcasts under the FW Presents banner that expresses where the network's various hosts and their friends found their joy and became addicted to pop culture and their various hobbies. I'm Siskoid, and last time I did one of these, I discussed an early comic book that was partly responsible for getting me into collecting American comics. This time, I turned to another hobby of mine, role-playing games and the very first book that started another collection of more than 500 roleplaying manuals to date. I'm talking about Grimtooth's Traps 2. That's T-O-O. Now, obviously, this is the second in a series, and I, I do have the other four now. Grimtooth's Traps, Grimtooth's Traps 4, Grimtooth's Traps 8, and Grimtooth's Traps Light. Now, all the numbering are puns, if you're wondering. But the second volume is the best, and that's not just nostalgia talking. These are all systemless books you could use with any fantasy RPG, published in 1982 by Blade, a division of Flying Buffalo, Inc., as part of the All-System Catalyst series. They each feature a bunch of wicked dungeon traps, and though written by various authors, they all use the voice of Grimtooth, a troll, and apparently a supplier of such devices, which really emphasizes black comedy. Each trap is rated 1 to 5 skulls, ranked by how lethal they are, and they're divided into chapters like room traps, corridor traps, door traps, items, so on. Illustrations by Stephen S. Crompton, covered by Jeff D. Though I seem to say it is, this isn't really my secret origin as a game master or as a dungeon master, as we used to say in those days. I actually had no idea what this game they reference in the book was. I got it at an airport bookstore or possibly a mall we visited just before heading to the airport uh, when I was 11 years old. So I read the heck out of it that summer, and several times after, of course. Right now it's in a severe state of decomposition, I'm afraid. But yeah, I had no idea what role-playing was. The way Grimtooth told me to design and build dungeons, I was like, is this some sort of video game where where you get to build environments for other players? But if so, how could any game system in 1982 actually manage this sort of variety? Remember, this is the second volume, so all the boring stuff is out of the way, all the basics. And a lot of these traps are pretty complex and outlandish. I'll tell you about my favorite ones in due course. Now RPGs will remain a mystery to me until maybe two or three years later uh, when a boy at school brought an AD module to class and me and my friends decided to try our hand at it. Our campaign was then a weekly affair from 9th to 12th grade, and yes, I did use some of Grimtooth's less lethal ideas, but overall, not as much as you'd think for something that gave me so much joy. In high school, I became friends with a classmate called George, who played with his older brother, though it seemed to be a terrible play experience where his character would die every session and he'd have to roll up a new uh, character each time. That's not how we played, But that's all he knew, so he excitedly told me about his misadventures, in particular the imaginative traps his brother designed for them. He was shocked when I could interrupt him with the punchline of various traps. They were all from this book. In fact, his brother would essentially put a trap on every door and in every room, and George's character wasn't the only one to die in any given session. But look, I've met the brother pure evil. I can't say for sure he wasn't Grimtooth. So we we can't say he's a plagiarist. In any case, these books are made for you to use them in your own games. In Postscript, I can tell you that my group and I once decided to teach him a lesson, and uh, we let him start a campaign with us, but we were so outside the box and so difficult that um, there would never be a second session. I mean, we didn't set out to cause havoc, but he did this weird thing where we stopped at a castle for the night, and then uh, we were told in the morning, that uh, one of our characters raped the princess during the night? And now we we're supposed to be on the run? Like, wh- what is that? Like I said, pure evil. So you got what was coming to him. Uh, don't play with people like that, folks. You probably won't find your joy if you do. Let's get back to the book. Let me give you the very first trap in the book. It's a four-skull trap called Beware of Low Ceiling that encapsulates why much of the book isn't really for use George's brother, it isn't really for use. Grimtooth, will you do the honors?
1: I always prefer to begin my collections with an outrageous trap based more in fantasy than reality. Thus, to open the chapter of my second book of traps, I boldly present the eminently logical Beware of No Ceiling Trap by Jason Sato, a game master of Warped Perceptions. This trap is located in a large natural cavern with a high ceiling. A deep chasm divides the cavern. There's only one way to traverse the chasm. A handy suspension bridge has been provided for this purpose. The bridge appears to be in good shape. It feels sturdy, although it sways a bit. To forestall any hesitation or a careful inspection of the bridge, you might arrange for the delvers to be fleeing from some hideous beast when they come to the chasm. The bridge will safely support about 600 pounds, the approximate weight of three armored delvers. When this limit is exceeded, the bridge will collapse into the chasm. The characters who fall with the bridge will be caught in a strong net suspended across the chasm about 60 feet below the bridge. When the bridge collapses, a fan of epic proportions at the bottom of the chasm begins to whirl. The blades of the fan pick up speed very quickly and will soon generate a blast of air strong enough to whisk the characters caught in the net up towards the ceiling. This will continue until the unfortunate delvers are slammed into the cavern ceiling and hit a carefully positioned pressure plate. Hitting the pressure plate causes the fan below to reverse the direction of its spin, creating a deadly suction. This will pull the characters back down into the chasm, through the net, which is not strong enough to withstand the combined forces of gravity and suction, and into the blades of the fan itself. To demonstrate the sound and effect to your players, shove a raw hot dog into a common household fan. For a bit of low class on this trap, place a sign next to the bridge which reads, Beware of low ceilings.
0: This is typical of Grimtooth's designs, where the characters fall in a net and they think they're safe. But when they think they're safe, suddenly they aren't. And they all die. This happens frequently in the book. I'll have the image up with a few others on the website at fireandwaterpodcast.com, like uh, the room that's actually a giant bell, and the board full of nails that swings down at your face when you open a door, and Archimedes' revenge, Grimtooth?
1: Liz Danforth and Mike Stackpole have teamed up to use... Sound scientific principles in a trap that shows they have no principles themselves. Archimedes' Revenge is a trap centered around a 10-foot diameter well sunk into a floor. Around the outer edge of the well is a 1-foot deep depression about 2 feet wide that would give the impression of a step down to the well. The water is absolutely to the brim of the well, but it has not spilled over onto the step. The well itself is about 25 feet deep. The step area contains 4 drains. The bottom of the well is strewn with treasure. The water is warm but harmless. Halfway down on one of the side walls, there is a secret panel that can be detected and opened from within the pool. Anyone diving into the pool will displace a certain amount of water. This water will flow down through the drains to a collection bucket. This bucket, once it is filled with enough water, a gallon or two will be fine, will become heavy enough to pull a pin that has prevented the spring-operated secret panel from flying open. Behind the secret door, you could place a holding tank for piranha. Though the designers of this trap also offered molten lava as a possibility that will boil the Delvers alive. I favored the latter idea. I prefer my food cooked, though I suppose the addition of a second secret door full of spices would be too much to ask for.
0: Now some are simple, some are complicated, some use players' habits against them, some are silly, some are really magical effects, some make you wince with imagined pain, But all of it is meant to be amusing, even when it's sadistic. Just rifling through it today, I detached uh, the cover and a few pages, which is a sign of how much I loved this when I was young. And since I didn't even know D&D was a thing, I can pretty much guarantee it can be read just as an odd humor book for people who enjoy a bit of fantasy but don't know the first thing about roleplaying. Did it lead me directly to roleplaying? No. Maybe that's a story for another day. But it, it did help me find my joy, and that's enough. I hope you find yours.